We welcome you today to Western Park Baptist Church to our virtual service once again. Here we are on the Labor Day weekend, the end of the summer. So maybe that's a sad time for you. Maybe it's a good time getting back into the fall. We know there's a lot of changes happening because the school's starting up and so on. Um, always a busy time. So we trust that this last weekend you might find a little bit of rest, uh, a little bit of peace uh, before a busy week next week. Today we finish this uh, series we've been calling Summer Psalms. Next week we'll begin something new. I want to look at the Beatitudes, the essence of Jesus' teaching. Stick with that for a little bit. Hear what Christ is saying. But today we, we end uh, with this unit, uh, and I want to look at Psalm 37. It's an interesting psalm because if you read through it, it is spoken by uh, an elderly person who's looking back on their life. If you check out verses 24, 25, you'll see that. And the person is saying that I've, I've, I've known God's presence with me throughout my life. And now he's looking back, and he's looking particularly to a younger audience, and he is encouraging them to follow the way of the Lord. So he's older, speaking to a younger audience. And so the psalm does have a proverbial flow. It's, it's a sapiential psalm, meaning it's, it's wisdom-focused. And so as we go through it, again, this elderly person is communicating some wisdom. And he's hoping that his hearers will actually listen, have open ears, and respond. We don't always do that with folk who are older. So that's the, the frame as we begin. So I, I hope, I think there's a lot in here that we can be encouraged with, uh, particularly as we enter into a change of seasons, that there's some wisdom here for us. And there is a particular edge to the psalm where... The psalmist is asking the question, how do, we, how do we go forward and handle the reality that often we see people with no faith um, having more success and seemingly to enjoy their lives more than those who have faith? And so he asks that question and he wants us to sit with it because I think that's still a real question. We do wonder at times, hey, I'm a believer, why don't I, I follow Jesus, why don't I see my way open up more than it, it is? Why, why do I keep running into blocks? And then people I know who have no faith at all, are totally unbelieving, they <clears throat> seem to be doing really well. So that becomes the question. People become a little bit bitter, a little bit jealous, perhaps, envy. And so the psalmist raises that, and I, I think that question remains with us. So we, as we move on to the end of the psalm, we reflect a little bit with that reality. So we begin then, verses 1 to 4. We'll hear what the psalmist is saying. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take the light in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So that's the, the opening stanza of this psalm. 
by the way, it does follow the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic, and they are doing that for memorization purposes. We do miss that here in the English text. But again, this wisdom piece. So it begins with the imperative voice, and it is saying, first of all, in a negative way, do not fret. So the opening line is a negative line, negation, do not fret. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. That, that's not the way we're to go if we have faith. So it's, it's not about seeing the world negatively. Rather, positively, he switches, verses 3 and 4, take delight in the Lord. So not fretting, but faithing, if we can say that. Not to be anxious and uptight, but to go into life with a positive attitude of trusting and committing my way, which is really committing my life, to the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. And so when we look at these verses, verses 3 and 4, trust in the Lord, do good. You live in the land. The land is always a big concept in the Psalms, to possess the land, the gift of God. So we can look at these verses and the verses that follow with, one, look ahead. So the psalmist is always encouraging us to take a longer viewpoint, a longer vision. Remember that God's timing is not the same as our timing. The psalmist says in another place that a thousand years is like a single day. So God views time differently than we do. We want things to happen just like super fast. That's it. We have a prayer. We want a request. We want it changed. And God is saying, well, we need to be more patient and to look ahead and to see that God is working, but he works in his time, not our time. God is not a genie in the bottle that we rub and he just pops out and is ready to do whatever we want. <laughs> so look ahead. Don't get anxious. Take a longer view. Begins with. We may say that's hard to do, but nevertheless, that's where the psalmist begins. And then he says to look up. Look ahead and then look up. That is, we are to keep our focus on God, to keep our attention on him. To not put all of our attention on other things, possessions or, you know, events that we want to see happen, steps we want to take. It's, it's look ahead and look up to God. Because the real battle here, the psalmist is saying, is what's going on in our heart and mind. The real battle is not the events that are around us that we think, if I could just take care of these three or four things, my life would be peaceful and everything would be great. No, the psalmist is saying we need to focus and keep our attention on God because that's the biggest thing. God is the creator. God is the redeemer. The whole universe is his. It's, it's way bigger than just a few things we see on our horizon. So keep our attention on God, not just going up and down with our emotions or our problems and all that we just see in our immediate day-to-day. -day. Look ahead. Look up. Keep our heart, our mind on God. The battlefield is our mind calm mind, a still mind. That happens as we are focusing on God. Take an image, an image of a calm lake, just still. Take that picture and to keep that in front of us so that peace starts to resonate in our own person. So to look ahead, to look up, 
and then be constructive in how we live our lives. And here we see this in verse 7 particularly. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently. Be still can also be translated be silent. So it's, it's that bringing in our breath and sitting before God. Be silent before him. Be still before him and then wait patiently. Again, God's timeline, not just ours. We said before that the word, the root of patience is, is the word for suffer, pati. So if we are to be patient, then there's often an element of suffering in that because we are indeed waiting. So the psalmist is encouraging us to be still before the Lord, work patiently. That is the way that we address the issues that are going on in our heart and in our mind, the battlefield of our mind. To have a quiet spirit, not to have an uptight spirit, the psalmist is saying. He's an older person. He's looking back. He's saying, all that uptightness never served me very well. Sitting with peace, quiet, letting that resonate in our lives, all the vibrations down that we might be still before God, that's where we want to begin our day. Now, as he says that, I think he recognizes that this is a challenge. It's not easy to wait on the Lord. It's not easy to be still, is it? It's not easy to be silent. We like to be busy, busy, busy. In fact, we we can draw back from silence. It's too quiet. So it is not an easy task. The psalmist recognizes that. And so what it requires is if we want to have this heart that is focused on God in our busy, crazy day and world, then that is going to take some effort. It's going to take some energy. It's going to take some discipline if we are going to frame our lives in this meditative heart and mind and win the battle of the mind. It is not easy. And so then we need to have discipline. Figure that out. What, what helps you? What helps me in, in developing this quiet spirit? A quiet heart. Because it's going to take that kind of energy. Waiting on God. It, it it's always comes back to what Merton says, you know, our, our battle for our true self to overcome the wanderings of our false self, where we think that we can satisfy all of our desires by just going out there and doing and receiving whatever it is, buying. If we do all that stuff, we'll be okay. And we we stay in the world of the false self. All of our aspirations, it it can be relationship-wise or career-wise or possessions-wise, all those things, that's, that's the false self that Merton says we build. Paul talks about the old self. And we're put to put on the new self. And the new self is, is possessing our true selves. And, and that's a hard journey to do. It's what Jesus says. Don't travel the wide road, but the narrow road. What, what does that mean? The narrow road is the road of the true self. 
It's recognizing what is most important in your life, my life, of being in a relationship with God, relationship with Christ, knowing his spirit in our lives. That is the journey of the true self, and it takes us years to travel that road normally. So will we quiet our hearts before God? I don't know what that older person is thinking when he's looking at his younger audience. Think of my classes at Tyndale, and I'm, you know, an older person, and I'm talking to all these kids from 18 to 22 normally. Challenge, because their worldview is pretty different than mine. What's going on in their heart and minds are different than what's mine. So we, we have this challenge of communication and we need to receive the heart and mind of the scriptures on this point too. Keep our heart and mind on the long view, trusting our lives with God, being patient before him, which means holding on to an element of suffering even as we travel our journey. Not an easy road. We've come this far by faith. The opening hymn to our service today was that. We've come this far by faith. You know, that's a song that was written in the 60s, the 1960s, coming out of the black church. We've come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord, listening to his voice. We've come this far by faith. And the old person is looking back at his life and he's saying, hey, I've, I've come this far by faith and I'm going to carry on that journey. And he's trying to encourage his younger audience. I have fond memories of that song. My brother and I sang that together as a duet when I think I was like 14 and Earl was 17. We were doing some evangelism, if you like, and city of Montreal, way back when. We've come this far by faith. What did I know about that when I was 14? I have no idea. But looking back now, a little bit more sensitive. So the invitation to look to God, to find our comfort in our attachment with him, the triune God, that's where the psalmist begins. Commit your way, which is commit your life. So having said that, he then circles around and then he, he talks about this issue of, well, what about those who don't know the Lord who are succeeding? So we pick it up at verse 7 again. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil here. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So the psalmist is saying, keep taking that long view. And so when you see other people who are not following God or looking to God and who are succeeding, and we are tempted to fall into this response of envy and resentment and anger, feeling like I, I, somehow I am a victim because they are succeeding and I am trying so hard to know God and I'm not. The psalmist is saying, well, that response on our part is not a healthy response, and that will not aid us in our journey. 
envy, resentment, bitterness. Not the way to go. But take the long view and keep trusting in him. So verses 8 and 9, we see that God brings about justice for all. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And then goes on to verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight in abundant prosperity. In the Old Testament, for the psalmist, there was great value placed on the land. The land of Israel, to possess your land, your little plot. That was the aspiration. And so the psalmist is saying, well, trust, keep trusting, and you will see what God will do. Interesting, by the way, also it it, it, it talks about a different viewpoint. We, we are so committed to individualism and how I'm doing, little old me, how you're doing, little old you. In the biblical view, it was much broader than that. It, it saw our own journey as our journey and our journey through our children, our journey through our grandchildren and their children. It was a generational view of life and a family-based view that transcended one generation at a time. That's really how they lived. That's how they saw the world. So when they say that I might possess the land, it's not just for them, but it's for their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, all of that. That's how Abraham lived, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. How we might look through the generations. That's a little bit more of how God is viewing our world. He, he sees it in a longer time span than we do. Through so our own, you know, increased individualism causes hassles for us. We just narrow it down too much. But it comes back to verse 11 where the psalmist says, the meek will inherit the land. Because Jesus picks up that verse and makes that one of his beatitudes. So in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit not just their little portion of the land, they will inherit the entire earth. So Jesus builds one of his essential beatitudes on this psalm, from this psalm. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And so the long view, trusting in God, depending on God, leaning on him, will we stay committed to what the psalmist is saying, to what God is saying to us today. So to begin with a quiet spirit and then to look and trust in God that even as others may succeed in a way that we don't appreciate, God is working for us and indeed we will inherit as his children, inherit indeed the entire earth. The meek will inherit the earth. So having said that, it's, it's a longer psalm. You need to spend some time thinking about it yourself if you really want to engage it. But some applications as we leave. Three, I suggest, coming back to this spiritual predicament of not envying the wicked. To not envy that others win the lottery. You know, you don't. They all of a sudden get $10 million in their bank account and we think it's all going to go great. And we envy. The psalmist is reminding, hey, remember that the real battle in your life is not what's going on 
externally, it's, it's inward. The inscape of your life is actually the most important. So how do we handle the fact that others do well, we may not? Well, it only happens as we find something greater to place our faith in, and that's what God has done for us. So the spiritual predicament. Secondly, not to let our inner attitudes be shaped by the external factors. This is important. To remember that our, our, our fundamental job is our baseline vocation, and that is to know God, to hear God's voice, to receive his voice, to let his reality into our lives, to become fully human, to overcome the human condition which is just caught up in all the exigencies of life, to know and to hear his voice internally, not to be shaped completely by, you know, how some clerk responds to us in a store or how somebody, you know, sends out a, an email note that strikes you wrong or something. I mean, those things are small things. Don't let those base and impact who you are personally. It's interesting, when I'm up at uh, Simon Rebecca's farm down in Prince Edward County, there are no lights out in the streets anywhere, and night is really night. When you walk outside the house, it is dark, 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 dark. You can hardly see your way out to the road. But you know what happens? You're out there in that darkness. And you and I have complete faith that, you know what, in, in 12 hours, this whole darkness is going to be gone and it's all going to be light. We, we live our lives like that, where the, the, these massive transformations take place, darkness to light, completely. And so that there's a biblical picture there for us, that things can change. Jesus talks in the end of Matthew about the regeneration of all things. I love that statement. Why, why does he say that when he's looking towards, quote, the end times? There will be the regeneration of all things. The renovation of all things. Imagine just a healthy, 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 verdant spring just taking over a crazy long winter. That, Jesus is saying there will be this regeneration of all things. The skies, of the heavens, of the earth, of the oceans, the deepest parts of the oceans, a regeneration, massive changes. So not to let our whole lives be shaped by a few external factors. Somebody treats you badly at work and you're all uptight and hurt. Psalmist says something deeper than that. How do we handle that? And then finally, our hope. All the psalms are about this. Some are psalms. Our hope ultimately is in God, not everything else. The hope of the godly is God. God is your creator. God is your redeemer. Jesus is your savior. Blessed are the mourn, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, who comforts us? Jesus comforts us. Our Savior comforts us. God comforts us. The Holy Spirit comforts us. All those realities. Blessed are the poor in heart. 
for they will inherit, or they will inherit the kingdom of God, Jesus says, the poor in heart. All of that reality. So the hope of the godly is God. The hope of the godly is not whether your next paycheck goes up a little bit. We all hope it does. That'd be amazing. But nevertheless, our hope is on something beyond that. And so we need to find that help and encouragement from the God, from his spirit in us, and we also need to hear it from one another as we journey and travel as a community of faith through the fall 2021. So whatever psalm we've looked at this summer that has spoken to you in some way, I'd encourage you to go back to it and really own that. Own it. What can you do practically after all this? I suggest you do one thing. Somewhere in your house, somewhere, or in your garden, you set up some sort of place where you meet God. You create your own sacred space. Do that. You can do that. That is the place where you go to meet God in an intentional way, whatever that might be. Light a candle. Have a picture in front of you that creates a sense of repose, whatever that might be. Create your sacred space that you might hear God's voice. It is a battle. Requires exertion. Requires some thought. And as we do that, we become more tuned and receptive what he's got to say to us. So hear these verses. Be encouraged by these verses. Look ahead. Look up. Live in a constructive way. I pray these words. In Jesus' name.